Welcome to a fresh perspective on business technology. This is Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise. Presented by Rising, a Wipro company. You'll hear from business and technology innovators who know how to use the latest technologies and business strategies to transform industries, and importantly, how these technologies and strategies can be shaped to your business needs in your way. Help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. Happy to be here. Rising evolution. We're talking about evolution and we're talking about a topic, part two of something we did a couple weeks ago. It had so much, I'm going to use a terrible food metaphor, meat on the bones. Uh, It's a food topic actually, but not quite. I've invited back the whole panel, but one of them couldn't make it. So we have three wonderful thought leaders with me and I'm going to do my opening before I do anything else. I have this little poem. You all know I write my monologues with ChatGPT. It's a collaboration and And uh, I had a CAT scan in my brain two weeks ago, Patty, and they discovered that I still have a brain. So I'm the human (laughs) and ChatGPT is the AI. So it is a a collaboration. Just want everybody to know it's not straight ChatGPT. So here we go. The first part, I have to give a little historical background. So bear with me. Peter Drucker. Ah, was a management consultant who contributed to the foundations of modern management theory. He maintained that, here goes the food part, culture eats strategy for breakfast, meaning the best laid plans will fail, uh-oh, if your culture don't em- doesn't embrace the plans. Okay, so now I'm going to do my poem, and when I call your name, dear panelists, please wave. Welcome, listeners and viewers, to A Voyage Profound, where culture, strategy, and tech are intricately wound. Join us as we travel the tales untold of how these forces shape business oh so bold. Our panel of experts, leaders of industry, diving into stories, strategies, they are a symphony. Cultures embrace the choices of tech, strategies drive transformational trek. In this synergy lies a business evolution, revolution, a nexus of forces, a dynamic solution. Sherry Ann Meyer, wave hello. Enrique Rubio, wave hello. Dr. Patty Fletcher, you too, wave hello. All so bright. Join me, Bonnie D, shedding new light on rising evolution where the future unfolds, culture, strategy, and tech. What eats what for breakfast? Part two, we ask to be bold. So audience, be ready for this journey's delight as we explore the fusion where these elements unite. Tune in, absorb, let the discussions brew. There's another food term, but in for in the convergence lie business evolution anew. What'd y'all think? You like it? I love it. Ready? Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. It. Yes. I like the symphony part. I know you, I know <laughs> right. you would. I know. So we have breakfast and we have food and we have the brewing, the coffee, and we've got music too. What could be better? I asked my guests on some of my other shows how long they think it took for that core poem to be written by ChatGPT. And those who do not use it estimate 20 seconds, a minute, 15 seconds. Do you all want to take a guess or do you all know the answer? Do you all know the answer? How long? I think it was seconds, right? Couple of, couple of minutes. Three seconds. Second. Three seconds. I can't. At uh, 1,001, 1,002, 1,000. There it is. And then I take it, I copy it in, and I start making adjustments. So there you go. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back, and I'm delighted to welcome back <clears throat> Sherry. Sherry, is you going to be Sherry today or Sherry Ann? Who do you want to be? Sherry. I'll be Sherry. Sherry. And we have Enrico Rubio. There you are. And Dr. Patty Fletcher. Patty and I worked together at SAP 1,000 years ago, and it's always nice to... <laughs> Run into you, Patty. So let's go around the table. Now, I have to tell you, I have a special rising evolution calculator. 
okay? And I put in the names of all, all three of your names. And I said, who in the world didn't hear them on part one a couple weeks ago and or who doesn't remember them? And the number came up pretty well for the same for all of you. It came up to about 14.2976 people, not the same 14.2976. Don't remember you, Sherry. Don't remember you, Enrique. And don't remember you, Patty. So please refresh us. Give us your bio. What do you do? Why is this topic important to you? Why are you here? What's your passion for it? And talk to those 14 points something people. Patty, I know you're doing the calculation. How did she come up with that for me? I should have had fewer people who don't remember me. I don't know. I'm Patty Fletcher. I first blame them and not myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of reintroduce yourself, take your full three minutes, make something up and tell us why this topic still resonates with you. Sherry, welcome back. Hi, thanks, Bonnie. Um, I'll, two words. I'll say that my uh, career is humanizing technology. I've worked in human resources. I worked as an IT manager. I implemented SAP many times, 27 countries. Um, and I've always written about it and spoken about it. And now my current position, I'm head of corporate comms at Rising. Uh, and my I always say my job is, or I look at my work as dumbing it down for the rest of the world to understand. <laughs> culture. Who's eating what? Is the culture eating the strategy? Is strategy eating the culture? Is IT coming out of their enclave and saying, wait a minute, I've got it over both of you. You're in my breakfast shake this morning. What's your take quickly? What do you I think? think who's coming out on top here, Sherry? I'm not sure yet. There's a little bit of nibbling going on in all different directions. And I, at this present time, I think tech is winning. Ah, this is the food show. Okay, thank you very much. Enrique Rubio, so happy to have you back. I know you've got a little bit of a cold, and so we're very honored that you're well enough to join us. Would you please reintroduce yourself? Welcome. Thank you, Bonnie D, for inviting me again. Excited about this conversation. Uh, my name is Enrique Rubio, and I have this uh, glamorous, sexy voice today. Uh, it's my cold voice. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get out of it uh, very soon. So, um, my name is Enrique Rubio. I live uh, here in the U.S. in the uh, in the northern part of the state of Arizona in uh, in the city of Flagstaff. There's a snowstorm, you know, uh, pounding down. A lot of snow right now. We got we're gonna be getting like 12 inches in the next uh, couple of days. So uh, very exciting. I, I am the founder of a global community of HR people called Hacking HR. We bring everybody together, leaders, practitioners from the HR space to learn about all things that are the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, transformation, uh, people, and culture, of course. And we do this in the form of events, learning programs, certificate programs, and many other activities that we put together uh, for the community. So that's that's me. Thank you. And, well, we haven't heard you cough yet, and I know you probably will because it's winter. <laughs> what can I say? And be safe with that snowstorm. <clears throat> so who's winning, culture, strategy, or tech, the IT people? Who do you think? I think tech is winning. Uh, I would agree with that too. Yeah, I mean we because there's a there's a difference between the talking and the happening, right? I think that if you count the talking, then a strategy and culture may be winning because we talk a lot about those, right? But in the happening, in the real life of of you know implementation, technology is definitely you know ahead of uh, ahead of everything else. So we. You know, culture strategy. We gotta catch up with technology uh, if we can, and and hopefully stay ahead of stay ahead of that curve. 
Thank you. We've got two votes. Let's see where Dr. Patty Fletcher comes in. Patty, welcome back. You are so glamorous. I think you're on the wrong show. Are you doing a Hollywood tryout today? I don't know. I hope our <laughs> I viewers <am>. are watching. <laughs> very, very glam. I can say that because I've known her for so many years. Patty, I'm putting you on speaker view so everybody can see your beauty. Would you please reintroduce yourself? Tell us who you are. Why are you still passionate about this topic? Welcome back, Patty. Thanks, Bonnie. It's so good to be here. So yes, I'm Dr. Patty Fletcher, and um, I grew up at SAP, and I'm no longer there, but I grew up there. And I've been very, very fortunate to have this career that does keep me passionate about the topics around work tech, future of work. My career has been founded by large-scale transformation, right? The culture piece, the strategy piece, the tech piece. And I've always worked at that intersection of people, business, tech, and then eventually data and course, emerging tech. My life's mission, I align my passion with my profession, like like each of you do as well. And for me, it's all about leveling the playing field so that all talent can thrive, not just some talent. And there's a lot of work we have to do, which I'm going to answer your question. I think it's culture that's winning. And let me tell you why. There's a lot of bad decisions being made now. Bad decisions around how we treat our people, bad decisions around how we're going to ethically use AI in all of its different forms. And we are focused mostly on the automation component of tech, not on how we can help to define a workplace with more rich experiences, with more contribution, with more leveling of the playing field. And for me, you need all three of those components, right, in order to succeed. But the negativity of, you know, kind of pre-pandemic culture and post-pandemic is really, really inhibiting us from taking full advantage. Thank you. And talk about disrupting. I see that sign behind you. Keep on disrupting. I know that's oh. you. It's the other, the other side. Move there. You go. Uh, that that was your that was your book. Just tell us briefly about that, Patty, because I know everybody. I'm sure they remember, but they want to hear you say it again. Go ahead. You bet. Yep, absolutely. So yes, that's from a fan who I'm not sure who it was. So if you're listening, thank you. I don't know how you got my home address. Um, so my book, um, Disruptors, Success Strategies from Women Who Break the Mold, I'm actually working on a follow-up book out loud right now on LinkedIn. So please check those out. I want to put you in my next book. But this book was the anti-lean-in. Lean-in was wonderful to bring the topic of gender equality, which is what Cheryl focus on, I will focus on equity um, in the workplace to the mainstream. The challenge was the message was wrong, right? It was all about these, about women having to morph into what their traditional view of success looks like, feels like, and who gets to be successful. And so this book tells stories of amazing women who came from many different walks of life, who have created real positive disruption, created more efficiency, effectiveness, and equity in the solutions that they're bringing to the table. My And that book's being um, shopped around now for a docu-series, so very exciting. And um, and then this next book is really going to be about launch pads, right? And what what um, do these women do? It doesn't matter where you start. It matters the progress that you make every day. So thank you for that. Really well, exciting. thank you, Patty. I know people would be interested. I think we're all disruptors here, aren't we? Myself included. We've all found a way yes. to do something that people didn't expect us to do, that we not even us, we didn't even know we were going to do it until I say, look for that little crack of light coming through the window or the door. 
lift the window, kick open the door, see what's on the other side, and go take the opportunity. And Enrique, I still have to compliment you on hacking HR because hacking had a bad name for itself years ago. And now it's, wow. I mean, if you've named your company hacking HR, then it's (laughs) something very, very positive and provocative. And that's part of, that's disrupting, right? He's disrupting the nomenclature. He's saying, Hacking is a good thing. We're going to come out with positive on the other side, but I digress. Thank you all for the bios. And to you, 14.297673, somebody better take those decimal notes because I don't remember. I hope you're happy now because we have three very, very interesting people back on the panel, and I'm thrilled to welcome you all back. Now it's time to go to the opening quotes. I've asked you each to send me another fictional quote from a movie or a TV show or a song lyric. Oh, by the way, we have two votes for tech and one for culture. I'm keeping score here, okay? Okay. I'm keeping score. Score. We're going to have to see how this this turns out at the end of the show. Uh, we're going to go to the quotes now, and I'm going to read the quote with a little tiny bit of background and ask you to tell us what it has to do with our topic. So Sherry Meyer has picked a quote from Dr. Gregory House, played by the wonderful Hugh Laurie. It's American medical drama TV series that ran from 2004 to 2012 for eight seasons. Dr. House, unconventional, misanthropic medical genius who, despite his dependence on pain medication, leads a team of diagnosticians. I had to read that quietly at the fictional Princeton Plainboro, Plainsboro Teaching Hospital, PPTH in New Jersey. Uh, the premise was with Paul Adonacio, blah, 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 blah. He clashes with his fellow physicians, including his team, because of his many hypotheses about patients' illnesses based on subtle or controversial insights. There we go. Here's the quote. Cherry, I can't wait for this one. Pain makes us make bad decisions. Fear of pain is almost as big of a motivator. What does this have to do with what's on the table for breakfast today? Uh, Sherry, go ahead. Patty, I'll get to you in a minute. Everything. Everything. Dr. Dr. House is, um, he's definitely a disruptor himself in the medical field. If any of you ever watched the show, you'd agree. Um, But really in business, I've seen so many decisions made because we're either afraid of the competition and we're in a hurry to get things done. And we put ourselves on a tight timeline instead of really thinking through the change management piece or because we're in so much pain already that we're just like, oh my God, get me out of this. Um, and that can be very individual as well. I mean, not the company as a whole, but usually it's our leaders that are feeling the pain and are reacting in an abrupt way. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And pain is where we don't want the company to be. We don't want the employees to be. We don't want the leaders to be unless it's a disruption of the status quo, which does come with some pain, doesn't it? And sure then does. move, move in positive direction. So thank you, Sherry. Let's go to Enrique. You have sent me a quote from Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by the <laughs> wonderful Jeff Goldblum. I remember him in The Fly. I won't tell you how many years ago that was. Scared the crap out of me. Jurassic Park, <laughs> 1993, sci-fi action film directed by, of course, Steven Spielberg. Starred Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Richard Attenborough. The first, this first installment in the Jurassic Park franchise, and the first in the original trilogy, based, of course, on Michael Crichton's 1990 novel set in Isla Nublar off Central America's Pacific coast near Costa Rica, where wealthy businessman John Hammond, Richard Attenborough, and a team of genetic scientists have created a wildlife park of de-extinct dinosaurs. When industrial sabotage leads to a shutdown of the power facilities and security precautions, oh no. A group of visitors, including Hammond's grandchildren, why, why, why them, struggle to survive and escape the now perilous island. I'm doing my own version here. So here's the quote Enrico has picked. The kind of control you're attempting 
is not possible. If there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free. It expands to new territories and crashes through barriers painfully. There's that pain word again. Maybe even dangerously, but, uh, well, there it is. Life finds a way. Wow. Okay, <laughs> Enrique, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, it's... Um... Well, first of all, Jurassic Park to me is one of the best movies uh, ever. Jurassic Park one, and um, and I always think about that quote uh, because you know we end up forcing so many things, right? We want them to go to behave a certain way. We want things to uh, uh, to 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 happen in a certain way, uh, or we have an expectation about how they have to end up working, and the reality is that at the end of the day. There are so many variables about, you know, all the changes that are happening in the world over which we have no control. Um, you know, we have we have no control over most of the variables that are impacting the life of an organization, the life of the people in that organization, right? And life finds a way means, you know, sometimes you 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 do have to plan, you do have to prepare yourself for you know for for uh, the impact of all these variables, but. Some of the times it's really, you know, just about being okay with, you know, some of the, you know, like adapting and some of the changes that are happening that you can't control and and just letting, it, you know, letting it flow, right? I mean, let me give you one example of this. Yeah. Um, talking about culture, for example. So there's, to me, life about life in terms of how people want to work at work found a way. People want to have flexibility. That is life having found a way. So, because that's the that's the reality, and that's a variable that you can't control anymore. Because life found a way, you know. Rather than trying to change things and force your own hand into something that won't ever change again to the way things were before, just just ride that wave, just let it flow, adapt to that, right? And that's the way you kind of like have to go about that. And that's one very small example, right? There are many, many like that, but that example of how people want to work today, to me, is the equivalent of life found a way to, you know, to to, to have a different expression, so to speak, in this new world of work. And we just have to be okay with that and and go along and, and progress from there by accepting that life found a way. Until the next major disruption. Until right? the next major finding of a way of life, right? I mean, like it's like uh, water. It's it finds its level. It's yeah. it seeks and it seeps. Thank you very much. Very interesting quote. Patty, I'm using the whole quote you sent me. I said it was too long, but after I took the one from Marika, I had no choice. So here's <laughs> the one from Patty Fletcher. She this is from Jason J A Y C N Jennings, played by Snoop Dogg. The, uh, it's a comedy drama film, American sports film, this year, 2024, called The Underdogs with two Gs, of course, because Snoop Dogg with two Gs. Drama film directed by, well, it's a comedy drama, Charleston III, written by Danny Siegel and Isaac Shamus. It stars, of course, Snoop Dogg, Tika Sumter, Andrew Schultz, Mike Epps, Cal Penn, I like him, Candy Burris, and George Lopez, I like him too. A release by Amazon MGM Studios as a Prime Video exclusive on the 26th of January. That was about two weeks ago. Here's the story. Jason, two J's, Jennings, is an aging, uh-oh, former NFL star with a reputation of being arrogant, 
self-centered, a disrespect. Sounds like house, Jerry. Following, except in, in basketball, uh, following an argument with his longtime agent, he angrily drives off and runs an intersection, resulting in his car getting struck by a city bus charged with property damage. He's sentenced to community service. Back in his hometown of Long Beach, he reconnects with an old friend, Kareem, and completes his probation by coaching a local football team. What's oh, one of those movies? Initially motivated to use the team to relaunch his own career, he realizes the struggles of young, untested players remind him of the obstacles he once faced. So here's the quote Patty has selected. I'm sure there are a million good quotes from this one. Now, when I first started coaching this team, I didn't believe in none of y'all. Now, not even a little bit. Not until I got mind tricked into realizing that I underestimated y'all, same way you did me. See, we the same. We underdogs. When I look at y'all now, I don't see a bunch of boop. I see me and every last one of y'all. Ain't no limits to what y'all can do with Jason Jennings on the sidelines. Patty, how'd I do? That was a cold read. How was it? <laughs> It was almost as if you were acting in the movie. Um, it, it was great. And it is a, a bad news bear for football, right? And yes. no, it was fantastic. And you know, what I love about this quote, um, guys, is that you can find inspiration anywhere, right? Anywhere. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about this quote is it is the perfect example of leadership. Disruption starts with the person in the mirror. And when leaders understand that leadership is not about the leader, right? Leaders are only leaders when followers enable them to be. Mm. When they focus on themselves, they erode culture, right? Which means they make stupid strategy decisions and stupid technology decisions. And instead, when a leader understands that their job is the culture, right? That they create, which is what this character did, everything changes. It, we start to focus in on how we meet people where they are, right? But putting inclusion, not diversity first how we understand their strengths and put them in those positions of strength instead of constantly telling them what they don't do. Setting clear expectations, right? The thing about Drucker is you have to focus and measure, period, end of story. That includes culture. So set clear expectations, not just on the what you want them to achieve, but how and why. Give them opportunities to, to develop and upskill those new and soft skills that they need, you know, to, to everyone's point here. Things are going to continually to disrupt and change. It's your ability to be successful because of it, not despite it. And really that whole thing around, and this won't change regardless of all the morphs the global talent economy is going to take, it is about being able to transform that group of individuals into a high-performing team by focusing them, again, on the conclusion, inclusion of each other, um, but really to be that leader who sweeps the debris out of the way so that they enable the team to stay focused on their progress goals, focus in on learning to take it with them to the next step, and not just on the outcomes. Thank you, Patty. I have a question for you. When you ask a team to be focused on the outcomes, that assumes or it's predicated on the fact that they bought into that focus, that team event, that team goal in the first place. Isn't the challenge in finding people to be that team in the beginning and then motivating them to focus? Just a brief answer, but it dawned on me that we're almost missing a step here is how do you get the right people to be on that team so that they will co-focus? What do you think? Yeah, they have to believe, number one, in the mission and vision and why it's so special. And that that thing about the impact, right, that, that end goal, it's about how do we know we are successful? What are those measurements that are going to change? And when you ask people like that versus tell them, 
everything changes because everything becomes a lesson learned in achieving that goal. That thing is just an indicator, that metric. That's all it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Patty, that's so interesting because, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying and I agree with that 100%. And on the other hand, I'm thinking, um, should we all be making these companies where there's a mission and a vision, I mean, and you know, slamming a square peg into a round hole or only hiring the round pegs. No. And I saw your note. And so what Sherry had talked about is, you know, it's, it's when you keep hiring the same people, same values, and this is a great question, Sherry, and I get it. We have to be willing to add and supplement our culture, not hire for the culture we already have, because that's not the culture we're going to need tomorrow. And that's why you focus on inclusion first instead of diversity. Inclusion is every walk of life, every belief. What can not, what is going to be hard to rally people around. I've worked an entire career as, as, as each of you on someone else's dream. My job, because I align my passion with my profession, is, is this role, this job, these people the right channel at this point in time of my life in order to execute my part of this dream? The skills, the people, the, you know, maybe it's aligned. And so that's really critical. And I can't do that if everybody thinks and believes and values the same things I do. I simply can't do that. It's a good question. Need fresh ideas. Okay, I want to move on to our discussion statements. You've each sent me a couple of new ones, different from what we, a little bit from what we talked about in part one a few weeks ago. So Sherry, I'm going to read your statement number one for today's show, and let's see where we go with this. And then I'll go to Enrique and ask you to agree or disagree, and then I'll go to you, Patty. Same thing. And Patty, you can agree or disagree with Sherry and or with Enrique. So you've got double trouble here. Okay, so here's the statement. Sherry says, when you hear experts, air quotes, please, talk about digital transformation, you hear how much things have changed from the Industrial Revolution's command and control way of doing things. Yet over Sherry's years in tech, what she's heard is, you have to standardize and simplify and do it the way the system is designed. And Sherry comments, that sounds like command and control. It ignores culture. Maybe it should. But should it? She's going to answer her own question. Sherry, go ahead. Very provocative, please. I'm very good at debating with myself. I love Um, it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, the culture or the tech? I don't know. Um, I think that um, in many of the organizations I've worked with, culture has driven tech in terms of beliefs of the leaders. And that hardcore belief that we are a certain company and we will pound this square peg into this round hole, okay, whether it fits or not. Um, But I I think that over the years, people have rebelled against that. And tech has started to evolve. I mean, look at ChatGPT to the point where it's more accessible to the average person. We don't always need an IT team to give us all the answers. Um, It's so accessible that I think people are... They know what they want, and they also know how to use a lot of tools to get them what they want. You can't control them as much as you could before, and I think that's a good thing. But what it's doing is driving up demand for things beyond that plain vanilla piece of paper, and I think that's a good thing, but we have to be willing to listen to those voices that are saying, no, I I need to be doing something different or this, you know, let's say my benefits enrollment is taking too long. could be a lot easier. I get online with my bank all the time and one, two, three, I can transfer money. Why isn't it that simple on my benefits platform? Um, 
those human experiences that we're all having, and we're all having more of them now, as you pointed out, Bonnie, because of chat GPT, you're writing yep. poems in three seconds. Um, <laughs> we have to consider that no matter how much we want to push back against it and say, now, wait a minute, um, ethics, um, how are we going to handle this? What are the rules around it? All of which are important to the wider worldwide global culture. We can't sit and wait either. Um, and I think that what we're seeing now is some cloud products beginning to show us the way to customize, if you will, the way the way we used to do in the past um, when you wrote your own systems, but customize and still leave that core intact. And maybe that's the future. Thank you. I think you answered your own question. I'm going to go to Enrique right now. I've got you all on, on group view here, on uh, gallery view, so you're all being seen on camera. I'll leave this view up while we're talking to Sherry. So, Enrique, agree or disagree with Ms. Meyer? What do you think? I agree, and I also think that there's a to me, there's a different conversation that has to happen around the conversation of technology, right? Because technology, first of all, is not the panacea, so it won't solve all the problems that your organizations are dealing with. Um, technology, I've, I've always said this, and it's, you know, I, I, I am an electronic engineer, by the way, so I worked for a very long time with technology, and I realized that technology will enhance whatever you have in place, whether it is doing the right thing or the wrong thing. So uh, I, I like to bring this, this idea, this component up of using technology, but before doing that, making sure that your processes, your mindset, your culture are the ones that have been worked on before you bring the technology on board. Because if you have the wrong culture, then the, the technology that you may be bringing, first of all, you may not even need it to begin with. But even if you need it, maybe it is amplifying you know, sort of the, the 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 crappiness of the processes that you have in place rather than improving sort of the performance of your people and the performance of your organization. So to me, I I, I agree with with the with the uh, with the statement. Um I just want to make sure that people understand that technology is 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 just an enabler of uh, of culture and it's an enabler of the good things or the bad things of culture so that's why before you bring technology on board you gotta step back and say do we even have the right culture before we ask the question about what technology we're bringing on board so that to me is the uh yes and to the statement that sherry had before and i just got some confetti to go on the screen enough to serve. there were new <laughs> hands there are new motions that uh, Max Sonoma just put in, brand new hand motions that you can do on any platform, on Zoom, on FaceTime, on others. And somebody taught me to do this. So I was giving you a confetti parade for that, Enrique. Thank you. Thanks. Patty Fletcher, join us. What do you think? Agree or disagree with either or both? Your turn. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with some things and disagree with some things. So, you know, going to to um, what Enrique said, right, and what I know that all of us know, tech is an enabler. And what we have to know when talking about Sherry's command and control, people do not change when you tell them to change, right, Sherry? That's the challenge. They change when you enable them to change. And what that means is things will be better because, right? And get them to understand that change is afoot, why it will personally make their lives better, and then enable them to be able to do it through the tech, through the, the new processes that we have. But what Sherry said is so important and then carried further um, from Enrique. And, 
you know, we this industrial revolution we're in is a big switch, right? We got cognitive stuff we will probably talk about today, maybe not, right? But the whole thing around tech today is up until now, it has been all about how do people interact with technology? And now we are focused on how does technology interact with people? That's the difference that AI brings to the table. That's what we started back with big data when I worked on HANA and, you know, all the other stuff, right? So that's really, really important. Now let's add on this fact. Technology, the playing field has leveled. I it can be a citizen developer. I go work in a company. I create a bunch of bots to do the stuff that, you know, is probably more efficiency focused, right? Doesn't I just need it to go get done and get done well. And then I leave the company and that bot stays there, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of continues the work and collects the data. And it's those kinds of conversations, you know, for this topic, Sherry, that you bring up that we have got to get in front of now. What is our culture going to allow? What feels good about working here? What do we want people to be able to spend time on? How do we want them to contribute to the economical growth of our organization? How are we going to, and I'm going to say the word control, which you guys all know I rarely do, control maverick behavior. We have the problem of being out of control. And many of us faced that in the early days of big kind of SaaS automation, right? The appization of HR was ridiculous. So I, I agree, none of us have the answers to this. We haven't been down this path, but yet everything is human. What do we want people to focus and spend their time on? 90% of workers are going to say, I spend the majority of my time on non-value add activities. Mm -hmm. How do we use that through a command and control, right? Growth has to be profitable. How do we use that part of the culture not to take over and supersede the innovation and the growth and the ability to be an individual, but instead to enable us to do exactly that kind of innovative work? Thank you. Sherry, I want to make a comment here before you get back to them, if that's okay with you. Of course, it's okay, Bonnie, you're the host. Uh, <laughs> comment is, if we think people say, write, not to sound morbid, but write your obituary before you die. Mm -hmm. What do you want to be? Well, if you go on LinkedIn, we all are, you'll see exit posts from people. I worked at such and such and all the amazing people. And I want to thank this one and that one. They helped to propel my career. And I learned so much from this one and the opportunities the company gave me. I'm leaving anyway. But all of the thanks, if you think about an employee writing that exit post on LinkedIn, what would they say about their experience that would be true? That you would say, that's exactly what happened. Yes, I was part, I was their manager, I was their colleague, I was somebody in that team, I was the person in HR, the person. What would reflect on honesty? Isn't that an interesting way of thinking? How would you want somebody to write? The other thing I want to say is about culture. I'm not going to talk about tech for a second, just culture. In the companies I've worked for over the years, they've been a few. <laughs> the culture was determined by the person with the loudest voice in the executive suite. The one who yelled the most, the one who insulted the most, the one who controlled the most, the one who redlined your work the most, the one who criticized you for leaving one minute before five o'clock the most, the one who threw out your HR uh, review every year and never gave you a raise in five years, the ones who ran the company into the ground, but they did it with a big salary and a lot of chutzpah. And those are the people to me, the people who said, you're not doing this right. You have to change everything about the way you work because it doesn't go with the way we see the company going and made you completely change your values, not for the worst, maybe for the better. But the people with the loudest voices to me have always been the ones who controlled, there's that word again, Sherry, 
controlled the tone of the culture of at least the team or the entire company. Anybody want to rebut what I just said? Go ahead, Sherry. At 100%. Now, there have been a lot of programs over the years that have been brought into companies to try and erase that leader focus. Productivity improvement programs, you know, Six Sig and everything to get to hear people's voices on the plant floor. But it's still very hard. Uh, first of all, there's never been a lot of trust from people on the plant floor that what they're saying will be put into action. Um, you have to have a really good, strong program to make that happen. And second of all, there's no evidence that really leaders have listened to those things. Um, so being the small dog on the campus um, can be, you might have a lot of great ideas, but you're never going to be heard. And we're probably never going to hear from those people because they figure, why should I bother? So, Which all gets back to, how do you build a motivated, inclusive workforce, an inclusive workforce where all ideas and thoughts are heard? And how do you do it? I, I want to add something to that. How do you do it so that the the explanation that that culture actually exists doesn't have to be explained by the CEO saying, we are a great place to work, but because the way people behave with each other, but what they say about their coworkers, but what they say when they leave, yes. oh my gosh, I am heartbroken because I'm leaving this company. Yes, it's for another different opportunity, blah, 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 but I'm going to miss my coworkers. I'm going to miss my boss. I'm going to miss the culture. That's the kind of talk that, that makes you realize this was real. It was not uh, an accolade that this company got from who knows who, right, about, or a great place to work or whatever it is. It is real. Uh, so to me, you know, I, I always like to say that culture, great culture does not need to be explained. You just feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, you go there and you're thrown like in there and you're like, wow, you know, like, look, yeah. at the, look at the way people talk to each other here. Like, they're so kind to each other. Look at the guy helping that other person over there. Look at the leader telling people like, oh, you, you need some time. Just go and take some time. I'm here for you. That doesn't need an explanation. You just feel, you just feel it in the air, right? So, uh, Patty, I think you're getting closer to the microphone. I don't know if you want to add something about that. <laughs> I want to move on in a no, second no. to one of Enrique's <laughs> statements, but Patty, go ahead. Yeah, no, just I agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I just fully agree. Just super quick story. So I go yeah. to a dentist, orthodontist, same person. I had my appointment this morning. I have Invisalign, whatever. And what I love so much is how they treat each other. I've never, nobody loves going to the dentist. I freaking love going to the dentist. They are so professional with each other, but also just so caring. And you can tell they just automatically assume the other person really has their best intentions and are giving their best self. And that bleeds into my experience as a patient. Everything yes. works better, right? Everything works better. I agree with you. That's why Glassdoor is so important. It really is. Yeah. Thank you. Good, good wrap up, Sherry, for your topic. Let me go to one from Enrique and then we'll pick one from Patty. Enrique sent me the following. Corporate culture is not an HR thing. Everyone must be involved. Culture is designed, created, embodied, and celebrated by everyone at work, leaders, managers, employees. Creating a great culture is a collective effort. That's a, a nice follow-on to what we've just been talking about. So Enrique, why don't you just give us a little more meat on that bone and then we'll go around the table quickly on that, please. Go ahead. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Uh, that that uh, culture has been relegated. Uh, first of all, when we even talk about culture to begin with, it's been relegated to something that HR has to do or that's something that pertains to HR or something that HR is bringing to the table just to sound fancy and, and, and newish about concepts and, and whatnot. 
But the reality is that culture is how the work gets done, right? That culture is culture is the set of literally everything that happens in a company from the words that people are using with each other to the values of the company is you know, embracing. And those are the avenues, the outlets, the, the oil that keeps the machine lubricated to get the work done. And if that is true, and it is true, it can't be just a nature thing. You know, leaders, direct managers, everybody. It's, it's funny because, you know, I, I've asked, we've done several polls in Hacking HR before about, you know, who's the most responsible for culture. And people always say like, well, you know, the CEO and the leaders. And while that may be true as, you know, who role models culture, the reality is that it's everybody in the organization. If you, if your CEO is saying, we want to build the best culture in the world and you're coming to work treating your coworkers like crap, then, you know, that's not going to happen, right? I mean, maybe you're not in the right place or maybe, I don't know, there's a disconnect somewhere in there. So culture is an everybody's business and it has to be everybody's business because the work gets done uh, in, a, in, in a better way if you have great culture. And the work is hindered, you know, the results are hindered if you don't have the right culture. And this mm -hmm. is something that everybody in the organization must be uh, concerned about, not just HR. And that's the employee experience as being part of that culture if they know that that's part of why they were hired and what the expectation is. Yeah. Patty, you're sitting next to Enrique on this round. So why don't you give a, a two-minute comment, agree or disagree, and then we'll go to Sherry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree. Here's the problem. We can't stop there, right? And um, Enrique knows that, right? And so does Sherry, and so do you, Bonnie. And so what do I mean by that? 25 years of large-scale transformation tells me one thing. If you do not have reinforcements in place that are tied to the money that is in my check, I'm probably not going to do it. It's just how it is. We do what we are graded on. The best companies I have worked with and worked for have those cultures into behaviors. Here's what it means, culture-based behavior. Not only do they have those for the individual contributors and like what that experience should look like, and it's as much about how I receive that culture as to how I bring that culture and what I do, because we're only responsible for ourselves, right? Not for the person sitting next to us. But then also to train managers on, or people leaders on what this means to their leadership the decisions they make, who gets hired, who gets promoted, who gets paid, all of those things. When you put those reinforcement mechanisms in, when you measure them and look at them together as an executive team and make decisions because of those, when you look as part of a performance review, which dear God, please don't let it be once or twice a year, right? but ongoing <laughs> feedback, that's when the shift changes. That's when we start asking ourselves those questions around what feels different now. I might be doing the same work. It feels different. We're getting a better outcome. Thank you. Sherry, join us. What do you think? Lots of different things. Um, first of all, I do think that culture, I totally agree. The culture at your company is part and parcel of every single person that's part of it. The problem that I've experienced in the past is that I don't know how to say this without male bashing. Um, I've worked for companies where there are a lot of men and they're the majority and the culture is driven by that majority. Um, majority of men who have had the privilege of going to advanced education, knowing each other, having friends from fraternities and stuff and giving each other favors, which I haven't had. Um, 
And that means that me coming in different from the, in the culture, my voice is, you know, even as a leader may not be heard because it comes from the top down in a lot of ways. Um, and also, Patty, you talked about metrics and you probably know this about me. I, I really don't like numbers and metrics. I don't trust them. And, but it is important because one of the things I always ask my team is like, how do we know if we're doing the right thing? Like mm-hmm. you did really good on that, but how do we know if we spent too much time on that or enough time on that? What did we achieve? What did we achieve? Enrique, this was yours. What do you think? Talk back to yeah, your just, just wanna add, uh, wanna add mm-hmm. one more word. I, I love the reinforcement word that Patty brought to the table. And I wanna add one more in there, which is accountability, right? Yes. Uh, this, things don't happen just by sheer good luck. You know, you don't build a great culture. You don't build a great workplace just by accident. You have to be very intentional. This ha- these things happen by design. And That's that right. means that if you wanna have a great culture, you're gonna have to have it by design and you're gonna have to be very intentional about it. And that means you're gonna have to be, to make sure that your leaders are accountable for that. So that means if you have a top star leader that is a top, quote-unquote, top performer, but then you look at the assessment uh, of engagement rates, for example, from their, from his or her team in terms of how that leader provides you know, coaching opportunities or growth opportunities and whatnot, and that leader is failing in every single indicator of culture, even if he or she is delivering value, you got to do something about that. you got to keep them accountable because they may be delivering value while destroying the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and this is just one example of all the many examples that you can include about culture. So, uh, about accountability. So, to me, reinforcements and accountability makes this for a great mix of uh, intention and design to build that great culture and not just by accident. I'm looking back in my memory on a, a manager I had very briefly. Uh, you all know the company. We don't have to say the letters again, who, when we had uh, group meetings, Everybody who was on site with him at a particular location, a building, was sitting around a big table and they had a laptop with a camera on. He liked to eat his lunch while everybody was talking and sharing that. So we had to watch him with the sandwich and the coffee and the soda, which was fine. But when it came time to scheduling one-on-ones, everybody on the team got a weekly one-on-one with him, a progress check or just what are you doing? He seemed to always forget to schedule one with me. So I was lucky if I got one a month. And I went back to the person who assigned me to his team and I said, is there something wrong with me? He doesn't want to meet with me. And this went on for months. He just, everybody was talking about their one-on-ones and I didn't get them. And I never understood. So that to me was a culture that was basically in my face or up my you-know-what. And I wasn't told why. It was either I was so good I didn't need a one-on-one. Or that that was it. it. Let's go with that. I don't even remember his name, but the eating lunch on the table when everybody was sitting there trying to have a meeting was just really, I'm sorry, just egregious. Enrico, thank you, Enrique. Thank you so much for that that topic. And I want to move on. We have ooh, nine minutes left. Let's see. We're going to squeeze in here. Patty Fletcher, statement number two for part two. I like this one. You say challenging the status quo, a culture shift towards inclusive AI. You're going back to Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker's mantra reminds us that for AI integration to succeed, a company's culture fabric must be receptive. It's now prime time to rethink if the old cultural paradigms serve the rapid technological advancements occurring in the workplace. So let's focus our last nine minutes. Sherry, we might need a part three here. Let's focus the last nine minutes on AI coming into the culture separate from chat GPT and poems. Patty, it's yours. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, it's such a human answer to this, which none of you are going to be, you know, just 
shocked by. But right now, you know, Cheryl, you brought it up in the beginning, right? And, and Enrique, you and I have spoken about this throughout today. And that is that tech has really been about how can we do things faster? How can we do them with less money, right? How can we have control over those things that are going to cost us money and therefore cost, you know, our shareholders money? And so the things that we would focus in on, of course, were hard skills, a little bit of soft skills, right? But but hard skills in having, you know, domain knowledge. And by the way, all of those things are important, but they are quite frankly not enough because so many of those things can be taken over by, there are multiple forms of AI, right? But can be taken over by AI. Now that we're coming into a place, there are more millennials in the workforce than any other generation, right? Then soon after, you know, Gen Z starting to enter, but even me as a, as a Gen X, who loves tech and all of us on here, you know, we're going to embrace, right? Bonnie, you did. You embraced it with your poem and with other stuff. So what do we need? And this would be really interesting to talk to Drucker if he was around. What we need is to build cultures that truly embrace, underscore, champion, advocate for, practice every day, get measured by their curiosity their desire mm -hmm. to find out what doesn't work so they can get to what does, and therefore learning. And we have talked about each of these things since I have been in the workforce, but we've never actually made them part of a culture. We haven't since raising, at least in the U.S., we have no critical thinking skills that are developed in our children throughout school. Not one. You work with Germans, you hear the critical thinking, right? So we do not have that. We don't have a love of learning. Sherry, you know, when you talk about what you just talked about, which quite frankly sounds like sexism and misogyny in the workplace, it's because you and I and Bonnie were conditioned to believe about perfection. We're hired for our experience. We're not hired for our curiosity, right? We're not hired to understand how things impact others. And so it would be so great to sit down with Mr. Measure Everything, right, so that you could have some control over it and say, how the hell do you measure curiosity? How the hell do you measure your ability to learn from failure? How the hell do you measure learning? Because it ain't the e-learning stuff you just put out. This is on the job, and it needs to be perpetuated by your leaders and by the people on either side of you, right? That's, that is what I would love to bring to the table. And with that, you can take advantage of emerging tech. Measuring curiosity. What an innovative, disruptive thing for you to say, Dr. Patty Fletcher. I've got <laughs> about a minute and a half for each of you to comment. So, Sherry, you're sitting next to Patty on this round. Go ahead. What do you think? Oh, curiosity, um, love that. That's something I've spoken about for a number of years. And we don't hire based on that. We expect... We're a culture that expects, as in America, um, people to come in the door knowing a set of things. You come into your interview, you sell yourself as yeah. knowing and doing a set of things. You don't come in and sell yourself as a curious person. Nobody wants to hear that. You sound unsure of yourself, right? That has to change. The ability to have a real critical thinking discussion, a back and forth um, to see how people think and feel and how creative and innovative are they, that's what's going to make a difference in companies going forward, I think. The tech is outside. <clears throat> They'll use the tech. Yep. They'll be curious about it. Tech is a skill, but what are we going to do with it? Enrique, see, I said <laughs> it right again. I said it 12 times and I, I messed up on one and I apologize. She's, Enrique Rubio, she, she I got the O in the- Enrico, and I, I, I was, I was, I was going to bring up my my opera sing, Italian opera singer, 
skills, well, I'll tell you. I got the O from Rubio transposed <laughs> over to the Ian and Ricky. You got to forgive me. Okay, Absolutely. you get a minute and a half. Come, come well, comment I, on Patty. Go ahead. I, I want to quickly say this, right? I'm very, very much related to curiosity, right? Because it's it's all connected, you know, curiosity, critical thinking, strategic thinking, creativity, innovation, all of these things are connected, right? So, um I was I was looking up on a, a an Instagram post that was posted by Forbes a, a, I think a few weeks back, and they were reposting something from the World Economic Forum saying 70 percent of employers say creative thinking is most in demand skill in twenty twenty four. My response to that was a, a, like a joke, right? Employers, we want more creative thinking. Employees, here are my ideas. Employers, ah, uh, that's not the way we do things here. <laughs> Um, so the question becomes, you know, yes, you want more creativity, you want more curiosity, but only to shut people down when they come to you with creative ideas, with challenges to the status quo, with challenges to your leaders and the way they think. So you can't really say that you want people to be curious and creative if you don't let them be curious and creative. And in addition to that, if you don't let them experiment and fail and learn and grow Damn. from that, right? So to me, it goes, there's, there's gotta be an alignment. If you if you tell people, I want you to be creative, you gotta be ready to for them to be creative. If you tell people, I am ready for you to be asking questions, even if they are uncomfortable, you gotta be ready for the kind of questions they're gonna be asking uh, that are going to make you uncomfortable. Only then can you really say that you're walking the talk about curiosity, creativity, critical thinking and, and whatnot. So to me, it is the alignment of asking people to do something, but being prepared to accept what's going to happen after they are empowered with that idea of doing that something, including curiosity. Bravo. He said it. There we go. I got fireworks for you. You see that? <laughs> yes. The fireworks. That was okay. funny. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm planning my thumb action here. Uh, Patty, I've got about 30 seconds for you to wrap this one up. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So fully, fully agree with you. Um, and that is inclusive leadership, being able to take in all different opinions. Ultimately, as a leader, I get to decide what to do. Right. But take in all of those opinions and experiences and respecting them and then going back and explaining why you didn't didn't take that that on. And here's the thing that we have to remember. We are dealing with a workforce who will eventually get beaten down like the rest of us. Right. But we'll also understand this one thing. Right stage right audience. And if you are not the right audience for the stage of the change that I want to bring as an employee, I will go somewhere else. And nobody gives a crap that I only stayed with you for a year or two. That's not around anymore, at least in the tech intensive industries. Yeah. So, you know, employer beware, leader beware. It's, yes. it's literally your fault. 16 tons. They're not staying for the lifetime. And I have to do a quick shout out to Patricia A. Harris, who is my manager at SAP, who heard, oh, me, my goodness. heard me when I said, Give me a little bit of money. I want to do a 13-week pilot of a roundtable thought leadership live radio show. We called it Get Coffee Break with Game Changers. And she called me on the fourth week and said, I have news for you. And I figured, okay, she hates it. She said, go big. I'm funding you for the year. And that one series turned into 48 different radio series for SAP and launched my career as a business broadcaster. She took a chance. I was curious. I pitched her. And she said yes. So thank you, Patricia no. Harris. I know she's still somewhere. So anyway, everybody, I want you to raise your finger in a no, no, no. Come on, Enrique, Sherry Ann, Dr. Patty Fletcher. People say the future is already here. And we're talking today about rising evolution, the future-proofed enterprise. Well, that future isn't here yet. So on the count of three, join me in saying no, no, no. One, two, three. No, 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 no. It was a little raggy, but it's okay. That future hasn't happened yet. The future is here. That was 
two seconds ago. That was three days ago. That was a year ago. The future is now, and we're going to make it a better one. Thank you to my engineer, Jordan at Voice America, Dr. Patty Fletcher, glamorous as always, Sherry Ann Meyer, what would I do without you, and Enrique Rubio, yeah. love to have you, you on the show. Everybody wave goodbye. Okay, Bye-bye, Jordan, everybody. are we out? Wait, don't go. Thanks again for tuning in to Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise with Rising, a Wipro company. Rising enables you to create your business journey your way with SAP technology. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag R-I-Z-I-N-G. That's Rising with a Z. Please join us again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively evolving week.